0: stand with me at the reading of God's Word. I want to remind you, this is part two of, of, of a sermon that began last week. Last week we saw at the end of chapter four that everyone who is a believer shares together of one heart and one soul, and they're sharing their belongings together. And then there was an example given in verse 36. Thus, Barnabas, he's an example of believers who do that. And then our passage begins in chapter 5. Verse 1 with the word but. So let's read again the longer passage. Chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But, here's our passage, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it Who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. You may be seated. Uh, if you're, if you didn't bring an offering today, <laughs> you may be feeling a little bit nervous. I wonder um, if this is the explanation for things like online giving. You know, someone comes to church and hears this preach, and then they want to immediately catch up on their giving. So they put it on the website or whatever. But, beloved, we have need of endurance. We have need of endurance. We have need of the faith that we are professing to be real and to be real for all of our life so that after we have done the will of God, after we have finished a life of holiness, we will receive what He promised. The Spirit of God loves us. And He knows that a Spirit-filled church is a Spirit-fearing church. And so He gives us this word this morning. Lying provokes the Spirit of truth that's the sermon in a sentence lying provokes the spirit of truth point number 1 verses 1 through 6 Ananias lied to the spirit Ananias lied to the spirit we have a temptation a sin and a power in these 3 or these 6 verses a temptation a sin And a power. There is first the temptation toward self. I want us to step back from our familiarity with this passage, and I want us to consider what the world would think if they heard the words of verses 1 and 2. There's this man who has a piece of property, he sells that property, and he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. And he brought a part of the proceeds and he laid it at this, the apostles' feet. If the world were just to take in those two verses, they would be astonished at what Ananias did. They would be so surprised. They would be ready to give this couple some prize for charity. Th- these two verses are shocking in this all-for-me kind of world. The world doesn't understand why you would give anything to anyone. Why would you sell what you own and not keep all of it for yourself? The world may appreciate, you can even hear godless people say, religion can have a part of your life or charity can have a part of your life. And what they mean is they have discovered that if they share what they have, it helps them. It only supports their all-for-me kind of religion and their worldview. This kind of giving in verses 1 and 2, it makes me feel good. The world is scandalized at Ananias and Sapphira for completely different reasons. And I bring that to our attention so that there might not be an ounce of worldliness as you hear this story, and you would not be scandalized for the wrong reason, that they kept back only some of the proceeds. Because the point that the author, through the Holy Spirit, is making is that withholding from God shows a problem with God. The emphasis is not on just how much they gave. We don't even know. The point very clearly in the text is that they kept back some. Now, I want to say very clearly that we're not mainly going to be talking about money because this story is not mainly about money. But it is about money. It is about money, even if it's not mainly about money. And, and I, I do want to consider something with you. When the author says they kept back some, that leads me to believe that Ananias did not keep back 90%. That some would not be the word to describe keeping back for himself 90%. And so while this text is not mainly about money, it is about money. And, and it maybe should make us rethink not necessarily not necessarily the amount we give, but certainly the attitude about the amount that we give. And so we may need to rethink things. If we think, I give 10%, and that's a whole lot more than... Doesn't this passage invite us to not focus on how much we're giving, but instead focus on how much we're keeping back for ourselves? And I do want us to not, not go through this passage without considering that this one area of your life, this one area of my life, may reveal truth that will cost us forever. Look in verse 3. There is a Spirit who wants us to hold back for ourselves. Why has Satan filled your heart not just to lie, but also to hold back for yourself? And that is not the Spirit of God. This is the same Spirit who... From the beginning, was saying, Did God really say? Did God really say, Christian, that you need to live your whole life for the Lord Jesus? Uh, give some, give some, give parts to Christ, give some, sure. Did he really say all? Give some of your time to Jesus. Isn't it enough that you give part of your thoughts, part of your obedience, part of your money? You will not surely die. If you just keep back some. I want you to see, I think Luke wants us to see that the language of Chapter 5, verse 3, that this, that Satan had filled the heart of Ananias is the opposite of what we saw in chapter 4, verse 31, that the Spirit of God had filled all of the believers. There's a comparison here. A different spirit fills Ananias and Sapphira. So money is just illustrating what's true of Ananias. Some, for me... And for, for this text, some for me means none of Christ. None of Christ. The whole number of believers did this, but Ananias and Sapphira did this. So we have the temptation towards self, but we also have the sin of hypocrisy in verse 4. Now, here's where a very important clarification comes in, it's right there in the text of verse 4. Look, being a Christian does not mean that, that you have to sell everything you have and give everything you have to the church. I thought the amen would come there. Um, Being a Christian does not mean you have to sell everything you have and give everything you have to the church. Look in verse 4. God really does entrust our belongings to us. And this text is saying how we treat our belongings may reveal us, may reveal what's true of our heart between us and God. Whenever Ananias' land was unsold, it was his. It was his own. And whenever he sold it, he could have. He could have kept some back for himself. Here's the problem, then, that, that Peter elevates and makes clear of what Ananias did. He's like that CEO of that nonprofit who makes this promise every dime you give to me is going to be given straight to the needy. And then later, this, this, uh, the New York Times breaks the story that out of your money he has built his mansion. That's the problem. Ananias' sin is not mainly about money, it's mainly about the truth. It's about the truth. He kept back some because he contrived in his heart to lie to God. What he did was Ananias was claiming, I've just, he's like right behind Barnabas in the line maybe. And Barnabas says, this is all that I got from my land. And Peter takes it and then Ananias says, this is all I got from my land. He claims to do what the other believers are doing and he's lying. Ananias wanted the credit without the cost. This is the problem. He wants the credit without the cost. Ananias is attracted to to this reputation of generosity, he wants to be seen as that, but not at the cost of his nest egg, or that chariot that he's been eyeing at the at the used lot, or 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 at the the, the bathroom renovation he, he's been planning for his other house. So, from this passage, we need to we we need to remind ourselves. Wealth is good. Wealth is good. And and if you have wealth, you shouldn't be embarrassed by that. You shouldn't be nervous by that. You shouldn't feel bad that you have been blessed with that. And nest eggs aren't bad. What's bad is sinning to get what's good. And so things that are good turn bad when you sin in order to get them. Or you sin in order to keep them. If you're a Christian, this story, I think, should make us grateful that our Redeemer is not an embezzler. Our Savior is not an embezzler. We will never discover that Jesus kept some back. Never, when we face God on the day of judgment, we will not discover then that Jesus did not, like that He promised to pay fully for our sins so that He might get the credit for salvation while holding back. And in that day, you discover that He has left for you to make up the difference in suffering, For your guilt. You'll never discover that with Jesus. Jesus is not a hypocrite. To get the credit for being a redeemer. He did pay the cost of our redemption. Christian. He wanted you. And so. He did not hold back. And God. Did not hold back. Your guilt. That he poured. On His Son. The Son of God. Offered Himself whole. All of Himself. On the cross. And so when we get to heaven. We will learn. In full. What it means. That our Savior. Is not Ananias. That there is nothing like Him. In Ananias. That we need nothing more than Christ. In order to get in. That's all we need. He has done it all. Believe that and believe that if you say one thing about yourself while being something else, that kind of hypocrisy is a provocation to God. You are provoking God. So in verses 5 and 6, we see power. We see the power of the apostolic word. Now, looking in verse, verses 5 and 6, if you're new to the Bible you, and, and you've just met this person named Peter, this story would lead you to believe that he's some ancestor of Al Capone or like he's the original godfather We read this passage and we're wondering what is the deal with this apostle of Jesus Christ? Why is Peter so chapped and so harsh? We read his words and and we should believe how powerful they are. Look at the language of verse 5. Listen to what is said. When Ananias heard these words, when he heard these words he fell down and breathed his last. In other words, when the moment that the words of Peter leave Peter's mouth, and and what words is he saying? He says to Ananias, you have not lied to man. You have lied to God. And his heart stopped immediately. Those are powerful words. And I think we should clarify, I don't think Peter learned the actual sell of the property from the Jerusalem star telegram. He's not like up on the price of of real estate. The one who ended Ananias' life is not Peter. The one who ended Ananias' life is the one who told Peter what Ananias did. That he's filled with the Spirit and then this happens. It's the one who imbued Peter's words with the power to stop hearts. Friends, friends. This is reality. This is history. This happened. The one who stopped Ananias' heart is the one who sees in your heart and in my heart. This is a Spirit-filled church. In a Spirit-filled church, sin is not safe. That's what it means. It's at least part of what it means. Sin is not safe. Listen, you and I cannot treat lightly, uh, sin lightly without treating our Savior lightly. If we treat our sin lightly, any sin, every sin, we are treating the Savior of sinners lightly. And that is something the Spirit of Christ will never allow. This is what he finds most important. This is his assignment to exalt the Lord Jesus. So when he gets into his church and they are... Making light, lightly esteeming the one God is committed to exalting. He won't stand for it. And so in this unique pouring out of the Spirit, we have this unique need and an explanation of holiness. And Christian, I want you and me to be reminded that this Spirit said through Paul, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The same Spirit said through Peter, the past, your past is sufficient for your sin. Like, your sin before Christ, that's enough sin for you. Don't do it anymore. The same Spirit said through another apostle, John, no one who goes on sinning knows God. The same Spirit is the one who moved the author of the Hebrews saying, if you go on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sin for you, but all you are waiting for is a fearful expectation of God's judgment. That's what the Spirit says. He says in chapter 5, verse 3, if you lie to the Spirit, verse 4, you are lying to God because the Spirit of grace is God. Don't have any notion of grace like the Spirit of grace is just okay with sin. Hebrews said, you have outraged the Spirit of grace if you're, if you're sinning deliberately. Grace leads to something other than going on sinning deliberately. Beloved, we need to hear that from this text. Sinners are not safe around the Spirit of God. Only repenters are safe. And repenters are safe. Repenters are safe. Sin provokes the spirit. But there is something special about this story. We we don't normally read these stories where God is actually giving the wages of sin at the moment sin is committed. You know, giving, giving death right when sin is committed. There is something special about this story, this sin of lying. Lying is the supreme characterization of God's archenemy. And truth is the supreme characterization of the spirit of truth. And So we reflect this in our home with discipline. It's one thing to disobey mommy and daddy that gets a certain level of discipline. It's higher if you lie. And when we take on the name of Christ and we practice lying, we are provoking the Spirit to avenge His name. Now, we all need to hear this. Lying may not be your favorite sin. but lying is what every one of us reaches for to protect our favorite sins. Lying provokes the spirit of truth and we should fear the spirit of truth. Point number two, we find in verses 7 through 11, Sapphira tested the spirit. Sapphira tested the spirit. It was a low point in our sabbatical over the last few months when we discovered one Saturday morning that someone got into our car and stole some, some of our stuff. And this was troubling to my children. And so they, they, they were really concerned that, that the thieves get caught. And so they said, are they going to get caught? And I, my answer was, sometimes by men. But always by God. Look how Sapphira tests the spirit of Christ in verses 7 and 8. She doesn't know that their lie has killed her husband. So Peter asks her, did you really sell your land for the amount that your husband said? And she says, yes. What Ananias laid at your feet, Peter, was everything that we made from the cell. And thus, Peter hears this and he interprets this and tells us that what they did was they agreed to test the spirit of the Lord. In a, in a silly way, let me give a silly illustration. It, uh, my kids might test me whenever I ask them to reload my LaCroix in the fridge. And lo and behold, mealtime comes and there ain't no cold LaCroix in the icebox. And I just say to them, why are you testing my mercy here? <laughs> like, I'm in a season where I'm trying to say no to a lot of delicious things. And can I just have my cold LaCroix? That is silly. Um, because there's not much, there's, there's not, I, I wouldn't do anything harsh um, with my children. Because they forgot to give me LaCroix. But Sapphira is not testing some untrustworthy or weak human. She is testing the spirit of the faithful Lord Jesus. So that verse you might have on your coffee mug, this is where you insert it. This is it. Even if we're faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. This is the application. This is what that text means. She tested him. Will the Spirit of truth be true to who he is? Or will he be faithless like me and make light of sin? That's the test. It's the same language we see in the Old Testament where Israel tests the Lord in the wilderness. And they do this whenever they are... This is what it is. This is what a test is. It's when we provoke God to act on His righteous wrath. It's when we give Him an opportunity to act out what He says is true of Him. His righteous judgment and anger. Testing uh, involves presumption. It involves presumption. Get rid of all your presumption, friends. All of it. Don't have a trace of presumption in your hearts. That's what testing comes out of. It's presuming that Jesus is telling you the truth when he says, I am merciful. But it's presuming and it's counting, counting on and living upon this reality that he's not telling you the truth, that he will by no means clear the guilty what testing is. This presumption, all the things I like, He's going to keep His word on. But all the things He really says about judging sinners, He won't. Now, if you're a parent, you don't need me to define testing for you. You've lived out the definition of testing since you became a parent. I want to remind us that parenting is a picture. Parenting is a picture. For God to show that there is never a moment that any human exists when we exist outside of living under His authority and depending on His love. In order to demonstrate this truth that there is never a moment where any person does not live under his authority and depending on his love, God demonstrates that from the first breath a child has parents. So parents, what are you teaching your children about God when you allow them to test whether you actually mean it whenever you say you will not talk to your mother that way. Or, we're leaving in five minutes and no more. Have you taught them that you don't mean it until you get to three? And my question is, are you preparing your beloved children to live under God's authority? Like in the name of being merciful, are you actually preparing them to live under God's authority or to trust that His commands are loving and good for them? Or are you teaching them that they can say no to God and nothing's going to happen? Children of parents who don't mean it have a hard time believing in the God of Ananias and Sapphira. So children, listen, even if you have faithful parents, they're not always going to be consistent. And I want to warn you to be careful of taking advantage of the weakness, the weak moments, or the mercy of your children when you negotiate just five minutes more. Or I'll do what you say if, 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 if you do this for me. I want to warn you, because you may be unknowingly training your heart to actually believe you can negotiate with God. He will not negotiate with you. Beloved, the Spirit of God passed the test whenever Sapphira lied. Look look at at this again in verse 9. When Peter said... Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out immediately. When he said that, she fell down dead. Now, you may not have seen this, but I want you to see that before, the, before Sapphira tested the Spirit, he tested her. I want you to fix your eyes on verse 8. And what I want you to see is the space... Between the word much and the word and. That unpleasant space. That most significant second. Beloved, you know these moments, you've lived these moments. That second. When that precise question is posed to you, and God is giving you an opportunity to tell the truth, do not waste those spaces. I have wasted those spaces before, and it only leads to ruin, it only leads to shame and more lies. And by the spirit of grace, I have not wasted those spaces. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Whenever I say that God can work wonders in those uncomfortable confrontations if we will not resist the spirit of grace in that space, some of you this morning may be testing the spirit right now. You're living a double life. You want people to think you're a certain way, but you're hiding sin. Some have been deceived into thinking that the Spirit overlooks sin. We've just heard He's outraged by it. Friend, God died for sin why would he treat it lightly? I understand that we are just accustomed to dealing with people who let us get away with a lot. So lies may have been useful to you. They've gotten you out of trouble at times with people. But listen, you've never only been sinning against people. Why would you test the spirit of truth? who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. What hope can there be for a liar and a hypocrite who comes face to face with this holy God? Friend, God didn't just die for sin, He died for sinners. Why won't you Take the spirit of truth at his word. He says, If you confess your sins, I will be faithful to forgive your sins. And I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The good news of the gospel is that this isn't all we have. This true, wonderful, good piece of scripture is not all we have. Liars have hope when they will become honest when they're prompted by the Spirit. What what is it? If, If lying provokes the Spirit to avenge His name, what is it that prompts the Spirit to forgive? It is honesty. Think about this. He is the spirit of truth. And when we confess our sins, we're agreeing with the truth. We're saying, what you say is true about me, I believe to be true about me. So whenever you have the chance, you confess. Confess every opportunity you have. Right now, maybe that space for your life. This may be a determining moment for your life to confess that you are guilty, you're a sinner. And you cannot be good enough from here on out to face God on your own. You can't save yourself. And also to confess that the Spirit is telling the truth when He says Christ Jesus died for sinners. And that if we believe in Him, He's so worthy of believing in Him, that our debt will be paid and the power to live a righteous life will be given to us by Him. Confess. Confess. Look for every opportunity you can to confess. Don't miss any opportunity you have to confess. Don't waste these spaces. Verse 10. Those who claimed that they laid all, but in reality laid some at the apostles' feet, they lay dead at the apostles' feet. Really, if you were thinking that Jesus is different from the God of the plagues or the God of the flood, let this correct you. Can you imagine if Peter did nothing? What if he did nothing? If the Spirit actually knew Ananias and Sapphira were lying in this moment, And he did nothing. How we would be deceived in ways that our hearts always are deceiving us, in ways that our friends may be deceiving us. How we would be deceived and encouraged to hide our sin or be fine with finding a church where hypocrisy is fine. Not this church. The Spirit did not do nothing. And so thank God that you can really know him. Because he tells us what he's really like. Lying provokes the spirit of truth. Beloved, wherever conviction of sin leads you to confession of sin, whenever you're convicted of sin, and that that what, what that leads you to is confessing the sin. You should be really encouraged. You should be really encouraged because God has worked a wonder in you. So when it said the Spirit filled all the believers and did wonders, in, our next, in the next passage in chapter 6, he'll say, he'll say, look, he kept on doing wonders. This is a wonder. And one of the wonders is when he saves us to the point that he preserves our soul by actually making us honest whenever we sin. And I'm confident he's working that wonder right now in our church. I am confident that this passage will produce in us what it should produce in us, which is the fear of God that leads us not to shrink back in sin, but to look for opportunities to expose our sin and to forsake our sin. Because those who fear the Spirit end up being forgiven by the Spirit. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us that kind of people who fear you and therefore are forgiven by you. We have need of endurance and so many think they don't need to endure or at least they're thinking that doesn't mean they need to endure in holiness and fighting sin. We need to endure to the very end in loving truth and in not lying or being a hypocrite or hiding our sin. And cherishing our sin. We have need of endurance. So use your word. That you are provoked by sin. But that you forgive those who confess. And forsake sin. Use it to make us fear you. Unto everlasting forgiveness. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.